0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke, the Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 29, the Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 29. We're continuing with this series of the Gospel Record of Luke, and now we've entered into the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, often called the Passion Week. It is a time where Jesus Christ is going to have great victories and then he's going to have the bottom drop out and have great defeats before he is put on the cross of Calvary. Of course it's not Jesus's defeats. These were all predicted and things that needed to happen. But these are things he had experienced because he is an Uh, tempted in all manners as we are. He knew what it was like to be in the highs. He knew what it was like to be in the lows. He knew what it was like when the people were cheering his name and he knew what it was like when those same people turned around and said crucify him, crucify him. And so we pick it up in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 19. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 19 and pick it up with me if you don't mind starting at verse number 28. The Gospel Record of Luke, chapter 19, starting at verse number 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he came nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which at the entering ye shall find a colt tide whereon yet never man set loose him and bring him hither and if any man ask you why do you loose him thus shall ye say unto him because the Lord hath need of him and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they sat Jesus thereon. And they brought him, sorry, in verse 37, 36, And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in heaven in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he came near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at this in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went into the temple, and began to cast them out, that sold therein, and them that brought. But saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke? The gospel record of Luke chapter number 19. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19, and notice with me in verse 38 what the disciples were proclaiming, blessed be the king that cometh. Blessed be the king that cometh. And with this, this is often called the triumphant entry blessed be the king that cometh and as we enter the passion week because we want to encourage you with dating things this is going to be sunday march 26th 8030 sunday march 26th of 8030 we have jesus entering into the city of jerusalem the triumphant entry blessed be the king that cometh. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're asking that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding as we open up your word, that we would learn more from this passage about who you are, your character, your knowledge, your omnipotence, your omnipresence. We're learning that we can learn about your characteristics And how much you truly know that we could respond in obedience to you. Because you know what you're talking about. Because you know all the information to direct our path. Lord even now fill me with your spirit. I'm asking that my words and my thoughts be lined up to the way that you would want them to be lined up. That my words would be pleasing to you. That they would be found approved unto you. I surrender myself to you. To use however you see fit. Just glorify your own name through your precious word. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Inside of this passage. Whereas many people would concentrate on just the, the ceremony. And the celebration of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. As a fulfillment of prophecy. Let's look a little bit beyond in this passage and see the very character of God, who, by the way, Jesus Christ is God. And let's see the characteristics we find in here, that here is a Jesus, a God, who knows everything. In fact, that's the first thing that we'll start off with, is Jesus' omniscient knowledge. Jesus' omniscient knowledge. As Jesus Christ is now preparing for his entry into um. Jerusalem. He's now staying in the city of Bethany. The gospel record of Luke does not give those details of what has happened. Remember that earlier that Lazarus, who is brother of Mary and Martha, Jesus's favorite place of staying, had been killed earlier and that Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus. Jesus had come back, had um, raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. Then he went back outside spent some time we saw in the gospel record of Luke and then he goes back into Bethany to spend time with Mary, Ma- uh, Mary Martha and a raised Lazarus and he heard how people even wanted to kill Lazarus again because he was risen and they just trying to deny the miracle of Christ could you imagine that that you were risen from the grave and now you're getting death threats just because someone outside of your control rose you from the dead they wanted to kill him again Oh, but what an interesting conversation that would be to have Jesus talking with him. What was it like to be dead, to have that conversation, and to be with him? Now as Jesus Christ has spent the Sabbath day inside of Bethany, he is now making his way, now on a Sunday, preparing to make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And as he is making his way, we're going to see that here is a Jesus that once again proves that he is God. And he is a God by his knowledge. Now, the word omniscient is a very important word. It's a word that we describe, one of the attributes of God. Omni means all. Niscient means the idea of seeing, all knowing, all seeing, that Jesus Christ is all omniscient. He knows everything. And this first part is going to show that Jesus Christ knows everything. Let's see his knowledge, his omniscient knowledge in this passage. Notice with me in verse number 28. And when he, Jesus, had thus spoken, he went before ascending to Jerusalem. Now remember that Jericho, where we had left off, was in a um, valley about 1700 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is going to be a but approximately 2,000 feet above sea level. So when it said he ascends to Jerusalem, it's talking about literally, he's going to be uh, going through the hills and valleys, but it's going to be steadily going up in location. And so he goes through Bethany, spends some time at Bethany in verse 29. And came to pass when he was come near near to Bethpage. Bethpage is an area in between Bethany and Jerusalem. It'd be more talking about the suburbs, the, the outside, the outskirts, the region of land outside of Jerusalem that would connect Bethany. And he came nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, which is at the entering in; you shall find a colt tied, wherein yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him, thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need." him. So Jesus Christ says, I have some instructions for you. I'm going to get two of you volunteers, two uh, disciples, and what I want you to do is I want you to go to a certain village which is over against you And I want you to enter in. In another gospel record, it actually says that I want you to go to a specific place. So he gives them an actual crossroads. He gives them a street address. He gives them an address. I want you to go to this next city. And I want you to go to this address. And when you're at this address, you're going to find a colt. Which is going to be a a donkey, a baby donkey tied. And notice Jesus' knowledge that had never been ridden. Now... It's a pretty amazing thing that I want you to go to a certain place, go to this address, and you're going to find a cult. And let me tell you something about this cult. It had never been ridden by man. I want you to take him and I want you to bring him back. And if anybody asks you, what I want you to do is just tell him that your master hath need of him. And he's going to let you go. So maybe we could think about this. Let's say that we're going to make an entry into Green Bay. Now in between where we're at and Green Bay proper, there's the, um, <laughs> there's the unincorporated town of Oneida. And so what if I was to say, what you need to do is that you need to go to a certain address in Oneida. And inside of that certain address, they just dropped off a car that no one's ever drove before. And the keys are going to be inside of it. And I want you to go to this certain address. Go to this. They're just now dropped it off. You go and find it. The keys are going to be right underneath the, uh, the, the, uh, the visor. You put, to put it in and drive off. And if anybody stopped, you just say, hey, the pastor has need of it. And they're going to let you go. How would you like to go on that journey? How would you like to be told that? That's, that's a big ask. I mean, there's a lot of things to that. And so he tells them this is what I want two of you to do. I want you to go into this certain town. I want you to go to this address, and there's going to be a cult there. I want you to untie the cult. And bring it away. And if anybody asks, say the master has need of it. All right. Who's my two volunteers? Who are the two people? Would you be looking forward to volunteering for that journey? Would you be saying, you know, that, that, that's something I want to do. You can almost imagine the disciples talk among themselves, rock, paper, scissors. And then by default, they kick Peter in the front. And common... Uh, th- common uh, ideas that the two people picked would be Peter and John. Those are the two people that normally associate it for our illustration. We'll just go with them. But let's say they pick Peter and then John says, all right, fine, I'll go. And all right, this is what I want you to do. This is your job to go into the next town, go to this address, go take it, bring it back. The next thing we see is not only the unepiscent knowledge. Here's a God who knows everything. May I pause? God knows everything. Part of our problem is that we don't know everything. We often make decisions with the information we have, but then we find out that that decision was a wrong decision because we didn't have all of the information. But Jesus never lacks in that. Jesus knows everything because God knows everything. God knows what you're thinking. God knows what you're feeling. He knows what you do when no one's looking. In fact, God's knowledge is so intimate about you that he hasn't just numbered your hairs, he knows which hair there is. For example, if someone was to pluck a hair off, Jesus can say that's number 4,233. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He knows what you're capable of and he knows what you're not capable of. He knows the things that you can do. The things you can't do. He knows the things you can do with his help. And he knows what things you think you could do. That you find that you can't do without his help. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. He has perfect omniscient knowledge. He knows details about you that others don't know about. Jesus knows everything. And because he knows everything about you. And by the way. He knows everything about you and still likes you. Still loves you. He knows everything about you and still wants to be friends with you. That's a great God. That's a very great God. But he knows everything about you. And he has plans for you. And he has a desire for you. And he's laid out for you. There are some times that God will give you something to do that in your mind you're like, no way, absolutely not. And God says, I wouldn't have given you this order if I didn't already know what was going to happen. I wouldn't have given you this next step. If I didn't know where it was going to lead you. God knows everything. And because he knows everything. We can trust him. We can't even trust our own knowledge. Because we don't know things. There are things that we're missing. Things that we don't have enough information on. Things that we don't, can't plan and anticipate. But God knows everything. And because he knows everything. We can trust him. Which brings me to the second thing. Jesus' obedient servants. Servants, Jesus' obedient servants. You know, because they have learned to trust Jesus, the servants were willing to be obedient to him because they know he knows everything. Jesus could not be blindsided. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? God knows everything. Amen. Nothing can surprise him. No information can come that was not already known to him. And when we learn that he knows everything, we can learn to trust him and to obey him. And so Peter and John go. Notice as we pick it up in verse 32. And they that were sent their way found even as they had said unto them. So let's play this out. Peter and John go. You can imagine the conversation they had going from Bethany to Bethpage. And as they're going, they're going, all right, well, let's look out. Hopefully there's no one around. I mean, they're hoping that this could be a secret mission where they could go in, take the cult, and just sneak out. No one finds them. But that's not going to be the case. In fact, another gospel record says there's actually a group of people there. So now they approach the, the address. All right, got the address. This is where we at. Oh, there's the cult. And there's a crowd of people. You imagine it took a little bit of bravery, yeah. a, a little bit of courage and a whole lot of faith to be able to go in the middle of that crowd and act like you knew what you're doing and taking the cult and start leading them away. Please don't say anything, please. And of course they do. Notice if you don't mind. <laughs> Verse 33, and as they were loosing it, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? Which is a legitimate question. Jesus told them to take it. Now imagine in our modern world trying to explain this. Jesus told me to. Probably not going to get a good reception. Jesus told me to do this. So they go to take this colt, they loose him, they start walking. Hey, what are you doing there? That's mine. I know it's yours. <laughs> the master had needed of it. This is a lot of obedience. This is a lot of faith. This is a big deal. This you know, sometimes we read our Bible black and white, and we come to, but stop and think about this is a big deal. A very big deal. But you know, I don't think God was asking the disciples to steal something. And I don't think they were doing it to manipulate. My personal opinion, I can't prove it from scripture, but knowing God's character. I believe the owner that day that God was working in him. And the owner was saying, what can I do to be a blessing to you, God? Can you show me some way? I I want to honor you. And I don't know how. I just want to do something. I think God had already stirred him up. And he was looking, what can I do to be a blessing? How can I honor God today? What can I do? And maybe God had prompted him to take the new colt that he had had. Never been ridden. And he just thought, you know what? I'm going to tie it up. Maybe I'll do something with him today. So he tied him up. Things were already lined up. And so when Peter and John come and loose them and the owner said, wait a second, what are you doing? The master hath need of them. I think personal opinion that God spoke in his heart and said, that's it. You wanted to find some way to be a blessing to me today and you've been waiting all day trying to figure out what is it? What is it that could be done? How can I serve God? I just, I want to do something and I don't know what it is. And at that moment, God said, that's it. That's what I had prepared for you. He was just looking for some way to be a blessing. And as soon as he heard it, he was done. I believe that God had already been preparing that person before the disciples ever got there. By the way, we see that when we go door knocking. It's amazing we'll go door knocking and sometimes we'll knock on the door and someone tears on their face and saying, my dad just died. I was just wondering... What I could do. It happened to me a couple months ago. I knocked on someone's door. a Guy home in the middle of the day. On a weekday. Tears in his eyes. Said my dad just passed away and I've been missing him. I was wondering if he was in heaven or not. I said can I show you for sure how you could know to go to heaven. Led him to the Lord right then and there. Normally he would be working during that time. Normally he might not even give me the, the, the time of day. But God had prepared him for that time, for that time of the visit. So many times God is preparing and working on someone's heart even before we get to the door. That's just like God's character and who he is. Because God knows everything. God knew that he had someone in Beth Page that was saying, how can I be a blessing to the Lord? What can I do to be a blessing? How can I serve God today? I just don't know what it is. I just feel like I should do something. And as soon as that opportunity came up, they said, that's it. That's it. Isn't that a great God? And you know what was required there? It was required for those two disciples, whether it was Peter or John or one of the others, to be obedient. That person who was waiting to be a blessing to God needed someone who's going to be obedient to the Lord to show them the right way. What a wonderful God to have that all lined up, to have it all organized. and just like my great God. It's just like Jesus to do something like that. And so they take them and they bring them back. Notice with me in verse 34. And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And we have the implied idea that the owner gave them permission. So they weren't stealing. They weren't robbing. The owner gave them permission. Go ahead. Which again would not have been the same effect if they had snuck in when no one was looking and took them. They would have taken it without permission. They took it with the commandment of the Lord, but they also had the permission of the owner. Go ahead. Go ahead. I've been waiting for a way this was it. If I could do this for the service of God, I'll be glad to do so. You know, it's always amazing, just on a little side thing, that sometimes God gives us a special project here, whether it's on paper or whether it's some other printing project or something else here, and we'll say, this is what God has us to give. And how God had already prepared. Someone said, I want to give and I don't know what to do. And as soon as that project's announced, here you go, pastor. I was just thinking about what can I do? How can I line this up? God had just allowed us to get some extra money. I didn't know how the extra money got here, but I, now I know why. God has done that time after time after time after time. That he's working. He's preparing. Before there was even a need, God is always previous God had already worked it out, had already planned it, had already organized it. Isn't that a wonderful God? You see, this all deals with our God who knows everything. And because he knows everything, he knows how to line everything up at the right time at the right place. And because he knew everything, he had some servants that were obedient. Not just Peter and John or whatever two disciples went, but also a man who owned a donkey who was wondering, what should I do to be a blessing today? He was willing to be obedient because God knew everything and had already prepared everything. Which brings us to a third thing. Jesus honored king. So now they bring the donkey back. Verse number three. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt. Now once again, this is another black and white statement. But when it's talking about a colt that has never been ridden, this is a big deal. I had the privilege when I was younger to... uh, have grandparents who owned a ranch. And so we rode horses all the time. And part of our job was also to break horses. That means the idea to train them, to make them rideable. You're not trying to break them literally, but you're trying to break the wildness out of them. So that way they will. But there's a process. Animals who have never been ridden before have something in common. They don't want anyone riding them. They protest a little bit, whether it's a horse that will buck and kick and run and try to do everything to get you off and get the cowboy off and the cowboy has to ride on or whatever they do. There's training. You can go through a longer period of trying to train the horse and there's different methods of doing it. But those usually take time and they take effort. Here is a colt that has never been ridden and the idea that it has never been trained. And a normal colt does not want to be ridden. And so here's a colt That the first thing they do is the disciples throw their clothes, their cloaks upon the colt to be act as a saddle. Now again, for those of you who have maybe not worked around ranches and worked around those, animals don't like that either. You have to get a horse used to wearing a saddle or used to having the blanket. There's a process. But here these disciples just started throwing their clothes on them and it stayed still. That's a big deal. Because God knew everything and God's in control. And isn't it amazing that animals are more obedient than humans are? And so they begin to throw their, cast their garments upon him and they set Jesus thereon. Now Jesus already told him, here's a guy, cult that had never been ridden. I'm sure some of them, maybe Judas, think in his mind, oh this is it. He's going to get bucked off and we're going to laugh. This is going to be a, Nothing. The cult didn't move, didn't shy away, didn't try to back away, didn't resist. He allowed Jesus to sit upon him because Jesus is the king of all creation. And Jesus sits upon the cult and they begin to come to Jerusalem. Verse 37, and when he was come nigh, even to the descent of the Mount of Olives, so remember that it's a very hilly range. You have the Mount of Olives, then there is a valley, and then the valley goes up to Jerusalem. And so, as they're coming down the um, <laughs> Mount of Olives, as they start reaching that bottom um, trough of valley of this between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. The whole multitude of disciples, so just not the 12, but also all those who had been... Remember, Jesus has been following with an entourage, which includes the Pharisees and everyone else. Can you imagine the Pharisees laughing this whole time, waiting for Jesus to get bucked off, and that didn't happen? Hearing about Jesus telling his disciples to go steal something, and they came back with the owner's permission. And now, as Jesus is coming down the whole crowd. Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest another passage deals with the idea that they cried Hosanna, which means praise now. So what happens is the people are celebrating. This is our coming King. And they begin to quote scriptures. They begin to quote Psalm 118 verses 25 through 26, that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's making his triumph triumphant entry. The people begin to put palm branches. Now, Palm branches has always been a picture of victory. And so they would lay the palm branches down. Now, I know in Wisconsin, y'all don't have palm trees. Where I'm from in Arizona, they have palm trees. And it's not easy to cut down those leaves. It is a process to go and grab those leaves. uh, Most of the palm trees are higher. So they had to go get them, cut them down, put them down, which was a sign of victory inside of the Bible. This is that picture. So Jesus is riding in. He's riding as a victorious king on a donkey. Now to the Roman mind, this is ludicrous. Because when the Romans came into a city proclaiming victory, it came with great fanfare. They were on a proper horse, not a donkey. They were there with realty, They were there with pomp and circumstance. And so when Jesus is coming in and the rebel rousal, the common people are throwing palm trees and putting clothes and and Jesus is riding in a donkey to the Romans, this is just out of their mind, crazy. But to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees... This is a big deal. Which is part of the reason why the Pharisees are like, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said to him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Why is this a big deal to them? Because in the book of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation lowly and riding on an ass upon a colt of a fowl of an ass." You understand that God knows everything and God knew prophecy and the disciples may not have been thinking about this, but the Pharisees who knew their Bible inside and out who are looking for them would go, this is not good. This is not good at all. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is the Bible unfolding and they were not happy. Jesus, tell the disciples to stop. They didn't want this to go on because they understood what this meant. The Romans would not have any clue what this meant. But the Pharisees, they did. This was a fulfillment of prophecy showing again, Jesus knew what he was doing. And he comes into Jerusalem as the victorious king of the Hebrews. Not of the Romans, not of the Greeks, but of the king of the Jerusalem, of Jews going to Jerusalem just as God had said. And the people are celebrating and they're cheering and they're excited about what is going on. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 40, Jesus is now answering the Pharisees and he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out, This is a big event. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem is a big event. Jesus tells the the Pharisees, listen, I could tell them to be quiet, but you know what happened? The rocks around us would start proclaiming that I'm God. You want to see, you know that this is fulfilling prophecy and that this is pretty much a miracle. You want to see a bigger miracle, make them shut up and see what happens. Because Jesus is God and he knows everything. And so the disciples are now, or the Pharisees are now quiet. They're not pacified, they're seething inside. We'll see that here in just a bit. But now Jesus now makes his way into Jerusalem. Notice now what happens as we get there. We could see Jesus' broken heart. Jesus' broken heart. So now he comes and faces Jerusalem. Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Once again, Jesus is brokenhearted over the city. Why? saying verse 42, saying, If thou wouldest known even thou in the least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, now they are hid from thine eyes. So Jesus begins to weep this idea weep over, it's weeping out loud. That means he's riding on this donkey. The people are cheering and celebrating. He gets close to the city and tears are running down his eyes. And he's crying openly. He's openly weeping. He just finished telling the the, uh, Pharisees that the rocks would proclaim him. What is breaking his heart? Why is he so upset? Remember Jerusalem means the city of peace. But the inhabitants did not know peace. Because of their actions, Jesus knows everything. He knows that the same crowd that is around him right now is going to turn around and say, crucify him. In just a matter of days. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they are going to reject their king that they're celebrating right now. They're going to reject this king. And because they reject their king... The city of Jerusalem is going to go through some awful things. What is going to happen as they reject? Notice verse 43. "For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side and they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus who knows everything now sees the future. Because the people have rejected this king, he knows that they're celebrating him now, but he knows the Pharisees are looking for some reason to turn the mob around, to turn the crowd around, and that it's going to work. In a matter of days, the same crowd is going to say, crucify him, crucify him. They're going to reject him as king. Then what is going to happen is that in 70 AD, the Roman government is going to have enough. And the Roman general Titus who then becomes Roman emperor afterwards is going to level this entire city. They're going to destroy the city and the inhabitants. They're going to destroy the temple once again and the temple will never be rebuilt even up to this time. The temple will be destroyed and never be rebuilt. And Jesus sees this. He sees the struggles of the Hebrew people. What's going to happen after this destruction? The Hebrew people are going to put one last resistance. And they're going to go to a fortress in the cliffs called Masada. And they're going to try to withhold the, the coming forces of the Romans for quite a while. But when the Romans finally break through and go to this mountain fortress, which is standing on top of cliffs... They're going to do a mass suicide and jump from the cliffs rather than allow the Romans to get them. And the Romans are going to completely destroy the nation of Israel. And the Jewish people are going to be scattered around the world from that time on. Never to be collected into that one place. Until God comes and finishes the job. And brings them together in the millennial kingdom. And Jesus sees the destruction. He sees the history that's going to happen within the next 50 years. And he's weeping over these people because it didn't have to be. They rejected him. And the consequences is they're losing that city. They could have honestly accepted him as king. And just thrown out the Pharisees. And things would have been completely different. But they rejected Jesus. From being their king. Jesus now weeps over the city so broken Why? Because Jesus knows everything. You know, Jesus knows our heart. He knows our motives. He knows if we're going to obey him or if we're not going to obey him. And he could also see the consequences of the actions because we choose not to obey him. And it breaks his heart because he wants so much more for us than what we want for ourselves. He desires to do so much more in our life, but we won't let him Because we don't want him to be king over our lives. We don't want him to be in control. We don't want him to tell us what to do. We don't want him to give us commandments. We want to do our own thing in our own way, in our own pace, in our own spirit. And we want God just to accept whatever we do. And not realizing there's consequences that come with it. Jesus knows everything and we could see his broken heart because he knows everything. He sees what happens to the city of Jerusalem. Then as we continue on, we can see one more thing. Verse 45, we see Jesus cleans house. Jesus cleans house. Still speaking about Jesus' omnipotent knowledge omniscient knowledge. He knows everything. Verse 45. And he went into the temple and cast them out and sold therein and cast and them that brought saying unto them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Inside of the temple, what has happened is that they have set up little markets in order for people to um, sacrifice Uh, They would have to sacrifice an animal according to the Hebrew religion. And so many people wouldn't travel with a donkey or turtle doves or whatnot. And so to make it convenient, the Sanhedrin actually put stalls inside of the temple so they could go ahead and sacrifice. But on top of that, they had marked up the prices quite a bit for a convenience fee. So they would triple the price. So you could buy a donkey at a cheaper price, but you'd have to bring it with you. Or you could go ahead and bring, buy it here, and we'll sell it to you at a higher price, but then you don't have to bring it with you. It's a good deal. Well, guess what? The high priest, or the former high priest, owned all the stalls. So he was getting a kickback of everything that was made. So they were overpriced. They were doing it right inside of the temple. The people who owned it. In addition, the, the Sanhedrin, uh, their council, had rooms inside of the temple where they would make backdoor deals working with Rome, working with the government, working in whatever deals to make money inside of the temple. The Gospel record of John gives us some more insight that it says that when Jesus made a scourge, he went and chased them out. A scourge is a specific will, whip. But may I say that if you take the time to make a scourge, this is premeditation. It wasn't that he went there and then got upset. Because Jesus knew everything and knew what was going on and knew the backdoor deals, he took the time to make his own whip to chase them out. And he did. He didn't hurt anybody, but he chased them out. But he chased him out and said, Listen, my house should be a house of prayer. Now, by the way, this makes us another image of Christ. That sometimes people have a false image of Christ, that he was some white hippie, long-haired, milk-toast weakling. May I say that if Jesus came in with a wimp, uh, with a whip, but he was weak looking, stop it, guys! Get out of here! They wouldn't have run. But because Jesus was a man-man and he got a whip. They ran because they did not want him to use the whip on them. May I understand that there's a difference of image here. Jesus was a man's man. And so he chased them out and said, My house should be as a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And that's what God has always desired his house to be. A place where people can go and talk to God get answers to prayer and bring the prayers of those on the outside to bring them in so God can prove to those people that our God is real by answering prayers. That's God's desire. But instead, it's a marketplace. It's a place where people to line their own pockets. It's not an idea that they're doing it to help the people or to help God. They were doing it because it was a quick way to line their own pockets. And Jesus chased them off. And began to teach in the temple after this. Notice with me in verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple for the next several days. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy them. And could not find what they might do. For the people were very attentive to hear him. So the people, they all wanted to hear Jesus. So at this moment, they're honoring him as king. They're honoring him as prophet. They're listening to him. They want to hear his things. But there's so many people against him and they're going to start working in the background to change the same crowd from Hosanna, glory in the highest, blessed is the king that cometh, to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the thing that we really learn all throughout this passage, Jesus knows everything. And may I remind you that Jesus still knows everything. He knows what you do in secret. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows the things you're going to face. He could even prepare you and guide you to avoid some of the things that you may heading to in your life. He does that through his word, through his spirit, through authority. He uses those things to guide in our life. The thing is, if he knows everything, can you trust him? And if you can trust him, are you willing to obey him? You say, well, how is God going to obey? Well, one way is through biblical authority. God does things to prepare. If you're willing to find what God wants for you, and if you're willing to obey, God will give it to you. Just like the man who was, had the cult, what can I do to be a blessing today? What can I do to be a blessing and as soon as it was pronounced to him, he was willing to obey. No problem. Take it. If it could be a blessing to the master, I'm glad to do so. If you're willing to obey, God will give you things to obey. If you're willing to listen to him, he'll give you things to listen to. If you're willing to see, ha, do whatever he gives you to do, he will give you things to do. If he knows everything, can you trust him? So what area of your life do you have a hard time trusting him with? Can you trust Him with your future? Can you trust Him with your present? Do you understand that God knows everything that you have? You may be trying to have some secrets, hiding it from God. God already knows. It'd be better for you to clean house yourself and allow you to take care of it than Him to do drastic things to get those things out. Can you trust Him? Can you trust Him with your next step? Can you trust Him with the unknown?